Hello, everybody, and welcome to this week's episode of the Wilderness Tamer podcast. A quick shout out to the show's sponsors is Dry Pocket Apparel. They are the future of swimwear that come with an integrated dry bag as a pocket with a self-sealing magnetic strip that is certified to 100 feet down, and it will keep your phone dry as a bone. So go check them out on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, and as well as drypocketapparel.com. Now, to save you a little bit of money, use promo code all caps wilderness to get you 25% off your order. My other sponsors are Nomad Outdoors. They have great clothing and camo options to keep you out all day taming your wilderness. My third sponsor is City Bonfires. They give you the option to carry fire like ancient caveman and use it wherever you need to. It is a soybean wax canister that you can cook over. It is a great piece of kit to have. So check them out on Facebook and Instagram as well. Thank you to all the sponsors and support of the podcast. And most of all, thank you, the fans and everyone that has been a part of this podcast. It truly means a lot. This was a real big episode and a big guest, in my opinion. I hope y'all enjoy it. Check it out. Hey, everybody. This is episode 21. It's an obsession. My guest this evening is Ethan Rodrigue. This is the Wilderness Tamer podcast. Let's get Ethan on the phone and let's get this podcast started. Hey man, how are you? Oh, you're good. <laughs> oh, not much, man. Not much, man. I'm glad to be talking to you, and thank you for taking the time. He is doing good. He's just the type to where he thinks he can do stuff by himself already, and he just got a little too quick. So he ended up, it was a transition from the chair to the toilet, and it just didn't pan out well, but it, hell yeah, it was all right. He didn't break nothing again or anything like that. So <laughs> it's all can ask for. So if you want to introduce yourself, uh, tell everybody a little bit of what you're about, and then we'll kind of just get into it. That's about how I am, too. Um, so what would you do in the military? What branch were you in? So I did four years in the Navy. I was a gunner's mate. So I always say the only thing better than getting to shoot lots of guns is getting to shoot lots of guns if you don't have to buy the ammo. Yeah, <laughs> heard that. But it's funny because now that I'm out, man, I've probably not fired 10 rounds from a gun in the last 20 years. I just, I, I don't have, you know, still got plenty of them, but just don't know. Well, that and the prices, and it's hard to find right now, so you got to make them count. That's kind of the main reason I've gotten back into archery. <laughs> you can reuse your bullets. Yeah, 
So, uh, or go ahead. My bad. For sure, for sure. So what age did you kind of start getting into like hunting? Did you start off small game or did you start whitetail hunting? How'd you get into that? Yeah. And growing up, did a lot of rabbit hunting, um, a lot of squirrel hunting. I never really got into turkey hunting a whole lot. Um, but whitetails, hunting deer was always a big thing for us. And bow hunted all of my life, um, dabbled in traditional archery. Huh. And probably about 20 years ago, man, I uh, I just got full blown into, uh, into to shooting traditional and, and making bows and the whole thing, and, and I'll tell you kind of a funny story, but uh, when I got out of the military, my dad had started making bows while I was in the military. Oh, that's and cool. And he sent me he sent me one, and I shot it, and I was like, yeah, one of these days, man, it'd be really cool to, to really get into this, you know. And he sent me a copy of Bows of the Little Delta by Glenn Santone. Mm-hmm. And I read it and was instantly, you know, I called him, I'm like, hey, I'm, I'm coming down, you know, because he was still in Louisiana, and I'm like, I'm coming down, I'm making a bow with this. So I drove down there one weekend after work, and in the meantime, at that, at that time, we had never met Glenn, but at the, uh, during that time, my dad called Glenn, just to, or sent him a letter, excuse me, and uh, of course, this was 20 years ago, so he didn't know everything. <laughs> yeah, I, I remember bag phones and all that, too, and my dad got a first flip phone, I remember all that, I'm only 28. <laughs> thing and um, I got down there a little early on the weekend I'm going to build my first bow and the phone rings and my mom answers it and it was actually Glenn St. Charles he just he got dad's letter and, and just took the time to look it up on information and called him so I got to talk to Glenn like the first uh, the weekend I built my first bow so that was that was kind of cool and I'm like man maybe this is an omen and uh, yeah for real <laughs> I heard that. I heard that. So, uh, once you started picking up a bow, how long did it take you to uh, shoot your first whitetail? Man, I probably hunted a good three years before I connected on a whitetail. I did just about everything you can think of wrong. Um, I, you know, growing up in South Louisiana, there's not much public ground. What is public ground? So, the area that I grew up in. Typically, if you wanted to hunt, you joined a hunting lease. A hunting lease was going to be on my paper. It was all going to be either swamp or pine. Uh -huh. And everybody made food plots, and, and that's all well and good. And that's how I hunted. Yeah. And moving up here to Tennessee, there was a lot more. I enjoyed it a lot more because it wasn't just like, okay, we're going to make a food plot, and then we're going to get somewhere between the really thick, nasty stuff and the food plot and wait for deer. There was a lot more strategy involved in it, and I enjoyed it a lot more. Um, but I didn't uh, I didn't think it'd take me as long as it did, but I, I probably hunted three years, man, before I connected on a deer. And it was, <coughs> excuse me, it was a lot different back then yeah. than it is now. There's a lot more resources now for people 
for him. Oh, for sure. Uh, Onyx and stuff like that, man. It saved some hunts for me. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Well, you know, you've got the Onyx stuff, but you've also got just like shooting resources, right? Like when I was when I was starting out, I mean, it was basically you know you grab a bow and you, you focus where you want to hit and pull it back and let it go, and that's fine. And, and I'm not dogging that. That absolutely, positively works. But now there's just a lot more options. And I don't know that that way works for everybody. Mm-hmm. You've got to figure out what works for you. And I did that for so long that, you know, I, and I would encourage anybody to take advantage of, of the stuff out there. I know uh, the Tom Clum course that the Push and Tom Clum do, man, I, I took that and I didn't change much at all about the way I shot. I mean, just tweak just a few little things and it made me such, such a, more accurate you know it was uh it was really beneficial would you say it was more of like your release or how like how would you say technique wise how and yeah, i mean i would say honestly like as dumb as it sounds after shooting a bow all my life back tension now i didn't really that didn't really click in my head right and i yeah. didn't look at where i wanted to shoot i don't think i ever that i know of really had a problem with like uh not reaching full draw and, and snap shooting but when i got to my anchor point it's done. It's ready to go. And then watching that that video, I just kind of basically implemented. I do everything the same except now when I get to anchor, instead of letting it go, I just use a little back tension. And just that little bit right there just made a huge difference for me, um, and, and really improved my, especially at longer. When I say longer range, I'm talking like 25, 30 yards. Yeah. Um, it really, really improved my uh, my shooting. And there's such a huge. Uh, resource out there for people to to just dive into this stuff and really figure out what works for you. It's it's like having a, your own personal coach, you know. And there, there's a lot of different ways. I know Rod Jenkins is doing it. I mean, there's a lot of different people doing stuff, and and it's uh it's just a great thing to take advantage of. I mean, it'll really shorten the learning curve. Oh yeah, for sure. Because I took about I was a big tournament shooter and hunter, which I got into shooting tournaments to become a better bow hunter. And mm-hmm. I took like a ten year hiatus. Well, I found a girlfriend. She became a wife and kids and all that. So coming full circle, I wanted to get back into archery. But when I walked back into that bow shop, every Matthews, Hoyt, and Bowtech, you really couldn't tell them the same as long as the banner wasn't behind it. And it just really didn't have the flair that I thought it would. So I kind of started tossing the idea of a traditional bow, which I started out with like a little 40-pound recurve myself. But... I don't know. I feel like I've been re- my thirst for archery has been reinvigorated, and I Absolutely. and until I started kind of researching and all that's how I found you. And then the stick boys, his name's Dalton, I believe. Mm-hmm. And then uh, like Aaron Snyder, he's pretty cool, but he's a little <laughs> unorthodox a little bit. But I use all the other guys you mentioned too. And I've only been shooting for eight months, and from what I've gathered and did my own troubleshooting, I feel dangerous out to thirty yards. I go to tournaments and practice, so. It's working out. <laughs> and I think that and everybody, I know that everybody can't shoot traditional because they don't have the time or the desire or whatever to put into it. And that's fine. I, I have nothing against the compound bow, but I, I was talking to uh, Matt Steed, a good friend of mine today, and, you know, we, we were talking about this, and he was like, you know, traditional bow hunts, it's just cool. I just can't think of anything cooler than going out in the woods with a, a longbow or a recurve and, and, and hunting stuff, you know, and making a clean kill. And oh, for sure. Stuff. It taps into those primal roots. You know what I mean? It just feels Absolutely. more natural. <laughs> yeah, I 
lot more um, there's a lot more emphasis on the journey there, you know. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, as Dalton likes to say, you know, you, you gotta when you're hunting with a stick bow, you gotta figure out where he's gonna put his foot, you know, and that's where you need to set up at. Yeah, that's true. And I mean, there's a lot of truth in that because you know, again, I don't have anything against rifle hunting or anything like that, but. You know, rifle hunting is I need to be in the right draw. And then, you know, with a compound, if I need to be reasonably close on the right spot on the ridge. And then, you know, with a traditional bow, like you said, I got to know where he's going to put his foot. Yeah. And that's what I like about it, because when you do kill that big deer, you get to hold your head up that a little bit higher, saying I did it with a stick bow. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think a lot of people get caught up. It's almost like you you hear people apologizing for shooting a smaller buck or or a doe, you know, and and I I absolutely hate to hear that, you know, and it just kind of bugs me, and and that's a me thing, I guess, but... Yeah, I'm I'm the same way. I I mean, that doe's life isn't any less, you know, valuable than that that buck's life, but I mean, everybody likes big horns. Yeah, but but you can't eat them. (laughs) No, you you can't eat them, and, and the experience you get that comes from all of those... You know, immature bucks or, or smaller does or, or large does, whatever, mature does. I mean, all of that stuff adds up. And then when the time comes that you, you are faced with a good animal, you've got that experience to fall back on, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, I think social media is an absolute, it's a good thing in a lot of ways. It's also a nightmare. Yeah. And I think a, a lot of people compare themselves to other people. Yeah. And, you know, and we talk about this a lot on the podcast, but... It's uh, not everybody's got the same opportunity, you know. And for sure, we've said it before. We've said it before, and I've read this Biggie Hoffman article back in uh, I don't know years ago in PBS magazine. But from memory, the way he put it was, I have friends in Kansas or Iowa, and if they hunt really hard, they'll and they they they're not going to shoot a deer unless it's 140 inches. And if they hunt really hard, they'll get two, maybe three opportunities a year. You can have that same mentality in a lot of places in this country, and you're probably are never going to fire an arrow in your life. Yeah, it's not going to happen. That's uh, this region of you South know. Georgia where I'm at, where I hunt. <clears throat> they call out the scrub woods or the flat woods. Eighty uh-huh. pound to one hundred and ten pound deer. That's about it because they allow dog hunting over there. Now, if you go towards the western side of Georgia and kind of up, that's where the more agricultural areas are at, and that's where the bigger deer are at for Georgia down here. But yeah, um, it you know, and it varies so much. Like in western Tennessee, man, there are so many deer, and there's some really good deer there as well. Yeah, there's there's places in Tennessee where you can legally kill three does a day from the opening day of bow season all the way through the last day of ripe season because there's that many deer. Wow, now how does Tennessee's what are y'all's regulations like? Like in Georgia, you can kill 12 or 10 antlerless deer and two antler deer, which two bucks. How is y'all season set up? Well, it's set up differently. So there's, there's three, actually four units. Now. There's unit A, unit B, unit C, and there's a unit L. And then, of course, uh, extreme western Tennessee has got some CWD problems. But um, basically, the farther east you go, the lower the numbers of deer. So where I am, I can kill four does during low season. Mm-hmm. I can kill two does during muzzleloader, and there's a, I think there's a, a weekend or maybe a single day that's a doe season in, in rifle season. But you can kill, so if you if you do all of that, you know, that's what, seven does, and then you can kill uh, two bucks, period. That's statewide. If you 
kill them with your bow, if you kill them with whatever, it's just two bucks. Wow, okay. Uh, so that's still plenty of deer. So, Better than just one yeah, tag. It, <laughs> it is. It, it's plenty, plenty of deer. And I think, you know, if you're hunting public ground, especially but with a traditional bow, I, I don't think you have to worry too much about what the limit numbers are because that's a, that's a pretty tall order. Yeah, yeah, it is. That's why I'm planning a hunt here towards the beginning of October with my longbow to go up to Piedmont. It's around Juliet, Georgia, and I've been going there for about 10 years now, and I've seen some huge deer taken up there. And I'll send you some pictures after this podcast of some bucks my dad's friends have taken. And it's just it's like 30,000 acres, and man, it's awesome up there. It's like a Disneyland for whitetail hunters. It's all big timber here. There's very, very, very little little crop yeah. around. So you're hunting big timber. You're hunting in the mountains. You know, and, and we've got into this kind of at depth in some of the woodsmanship episodes we've done. But here, I feel like, you know, there's a lot fewer deer per square mile. But the main thing that I think makes it difficult is you can be sitting in the absolute best place on the side of that mountain and the best on the best bench with the best amount of cover and the best pinch points and terrain features, but it still may take you four or five days before deer comes in, you know? Yeah. Um, I feel like their their circuits are a lot bigger here. Um, because you know, the little bit of food that's on the side of this mountain is really not any different from the little bit of food that's on the side of the other mountain. Yeah. Or true. that mountain over there, you know. So the deer just kind of, they just tend to roam a lot more. Um, I know when I was in West Tennessee, we lived there for a while, and um, it seemed like every time you went hunting, you would see deer. Now, they may not be in bow range, mm-hmm. but you'd see deer every time. It's not uncommon here to sit four or five, six days and not see a deer. Wow. Um, that's just kind of part of it, you know? Yeah. That's how it is down here. I've gone probably like two to four weeks without seeing something. Then just the last, second to last day of the season, doe popped out, and I missed her. So it is what it is. <laughs> uh, I can tell you this, buddy. You don't have a monopoly on that. Uh, <laughs> I've done it. I'm going to do it again, I promise you. Oh, yeah, for sure. Now, what kind of stands do y'all run when y'all are hunting? Do y'all hunt? Have y'all jumped on the saddle train or do y'all hunt out of lock-ons? Man, saddle hunting is not for me. And I'm not saying it's not a viable source or anything like that. Um, I will say, I'll preface this by saying this. I have an ignorant opinion. I have been, I have made like two hunts in the saddle, and it wasn't for me. Really? I like, I like a lock on. Um, I hunt out of a climber for years, and, and I would say 80% of the time in this part of the state, this part of the country, you can, you can hunt out of a climber and be just fine. Mm-hmm. But there are a few times, a lot of places I hunt, I, I'll climb a lot of hemlocks, and that, so a lock on's a little more handy. Um, and I've been using the Timber Ninja Sticks from Jason Red, and they're absolutely phenomenal they don't weigh anything they're deadly quiet and that's been a huge huge improvement and that's not like a plug or nothing like that yeah no, you're good yeah that's yeah, i hunt oh yeah that's why i have a millennium lock on myself starting out i i started with a climber and it was a 50 pounder from walmart so we were we hunted public land and it was the hard way of trucking that thing through the woods but Sometimes close to two miles. Yeah. And, you know, sometimes we'll, we'll backpack in and spend a couple nights there. So, see, that's, I love doing that. Weight. That's awesome. I think I, I kind of feel like lightweight is overrated 
but there are definitely times that lightweight is the way to go. And the saddle to me was great as far as uh, the ease of it. You know, when you get mm-hmm. there, you just hit your sticks and you call them up and you're good to go. But I think what what I didn't like about the saddle was just kind of hanging off the tree. Yeah, and it kind of it kind of made it hard to. Uh, I don't know. It just, it just wasn't well, for a compound I shooter, I, for someone shooting a compound bow, I don't think it'd be that much. But with a stick bow, you got a little bit more sticking out there. You know what I mean? Yeah, and I think it, to me, my way of thinking, and again, I'm not dogging them because I've only done them a couple of times. But mm-hmm. To my way of thinking, it, I felt like it limited my shots a lot more because if you if I got if you got to shoot over over your lanyard, you can absolutely do it, but there's no way that I can see to get the full draw and, and really anchor and settle in. It's just the way your bone structure is made. I just don't, I just, I, I just, I didn't like it. It wasn't for me. Well, see, I'm six, so four, like about like 300 pounds. So that's another thing too. I'm like, I don't know, man. I just, <laughs> I want to make sure yeah. I'll be held up there. Yeah. And I mean, there's times I don't have long to hunt but for the most part, especially in November, I'll hunt all day. And, you know, even when I'm just hunting for the morning, it's, know 12 o'clock and i'm like man i should probably get out of here but i just can't bring myself to get out of the woods so i'm usually in there for a while and i just i don't think that me personally i couldn't be as still in a saddle as i as i am in a, in a, in mm-hmm. a regular stand you know so i use a lot of uh, lock-ons in my main as a technique, do y'all try and just find a spot and hunker down and stay there and see what comes through or do y'all try to hunt for his spot for a little while then go to down the trail a little bit how do y'all do all that, or or what do you do? Man, it, it kind of depends. So what I do, um, I, if I find a good spot that I feel there's a, you know there's there's a good terrain feature that's going to funnel deer in, and it's early season, that's that's what I'm looking for. I'm looking for feed and that sort of thing. Later in the season, around November, uh, when when the rut's kicking in, I'm typically the places I'm hunting usually don't have a lot of deer signs. I'm hunting kind of downwind of major trails and little benches and you know mountain laurel and rhododendron and just thick stuff mm-hmm. um and you just got to put your time in and like i said you may sit there three or four days and not see a deer and start questioning your sanity like why am i here but <laughs> oh yeah you just gotta stick it out you know yeah um, and then later later in the season here it gets, it gets particularly hard because like i said there, there's no crops here and it seems like the, the deer are at that point they're just living on browse mm-hmm and it, I just try to get in the thickest, nastiest stuff. But that does change some because I don't put, um, I don't want to say I don't put a lot of faith in the, the moon paint stuff because I believe that's all very relevant. But at, at the end of the day, I think pressure yeah. is a lot bigger determining factor. And I also feel like if you got the time to be in the woods, you need to be in the woods. Mm-hmm. But that being said, if it is a full moon, I will typically go in kind of late morning and try to get as close as I can to bedding. Yep. And I feel like the deer are going to move a lot more mid. And I like late morning, midday is my favorite time to hunt. But I feel like the deer are going to move late to midday. But because it's daylight, they're not going to move as much. Mm-hmm. So I feel like I need to be close to bedding and just try to be as quiet as possible and just sneak in and wait and see what happens. But, you know, there are times that I'll, I'll hunt one area till. I don't know, one o'clock in the afternoon and then go somewhere else. But, you know, there, there's a lot of variables in there. I know the wind is, is a big one, but here the in the mountains, the wind is constantly changing and swapping. And I hear people, you know, Tom Tom Jenkins, a good friend of ours, uh, 
the zipper bows. He mentioned that just recently on our podcast that if if he's sitting somewhere and he has a bad win or it changes, he'll move. And mm. that's awesome if you can do that. But like here, the wind changes so much. I don't think you'd ever sit anywhere for more than 30, 40 minutes. Yeah. Know? Yeah. So you're kind of, you're kind of taking the game. You're hoping that the wind is right when something comes through, basically. Yeah, that's true. Now for a mountain deer, cause my brother lives in Rocky face and I got cousins live up there too. Most of my dad's family's from up there around there. He's like 45 minutes out of Chattanooga. And I'm going to try and plan a hunt to come up there because I've always wanted to hunt whitetail in the snow. I just want to check that box. And uh, when have you noticed the bucks move, or mountain bucks, when's their main time to move? Is more evening or in the morning time? Man, honestly, it, it, maybe it's just the way that I choose to hunt or just the places that I hunt. But I think the vast majority of deer, especially bucks, that I personally see, are after, well after nine o'clock okay. in the morning, usually usually midday, to the point to where like when I when I get in the tree, I'm usually kind of standing up and on edge for a while. But after an hour of daylight, I'm I'm usually hanging the bow up and sitting down and pull out the thermos and drink some coffee and just kind of kick back. And then about nine o'clock, I, I start okay, time to stand up and start really paying attention because that's that's usually when I tend to see deer. Now, that may just be the, the types of places I hunt. I, I don't know. I'm sure there's a reason for that. But me personally, that's 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 when I tend to see a lot of deer. Okay. Well, I know that's a general question, too. There's a lot of variables that go into that as well. Now, there is something I was curious. What's the elk population like up there? Because I think that's cooler than crap that we're possibly in the next 10 years have a huntable elk population back over here in the yeah. eastern part of the United States. So they are. I don't know the exact numbers, but I know that they're ahead of schedule. Good. Uh, a good friend of mine lives in Anderson County, and he sends pictures all the time when he's out scouting and turkey hunting and everything else. of so just elk everywhere. So I know that they're, they're doing really well. Um, mm-hmm. I actually drew a Kentucky elk tag for a cow several years ago. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, and I, I went to hunt there. It's kind of a long story. But um, <laughs> one of the things that I noticed after hunting elk out west is, man, these elk here are just so stinking big. Over Body here? I, I, yeah, oh my gosh, yes. I, I think it's it's probably, I'm, I'm sure, it's the food situation because, you know, if you're if you're, rock, if you're an elk in the Rocky Mountains, man, come wintertime, you, you, you got a pretty hard way to go. Whereas here, there's still stuff to eat, right? Yeah. Not as good as it is in the, in the fall or summer. The, but. the predators ain't there either. The grizzly and the mountain lion. Right. I mean, they're there. Not a grizzly, but, you know, a little mountain cat. Yeah. <laughs> but. Yeah. They're doing really well. Um, I think the chance, I'll put in for it every year. I don't really expect to ever get drawn for it here in Tennessee, but it would be great. Um, I do, uh, I still enjoy going out west on them. It's just a little bit different experience. Yeah, so I want to get into that too here in a little bit. <laughs> Man, that is, a, that is an absolutely fantastic time. Um, I, I will say that it's, I absolutely do not think that hunting elk is like hunting turkey, like everybody says. I was just about to say that. Is it like turkey hunting for a horse? No, <laughs> not, not to me. I don't, I don't, other than the fact that the male of the species makes calls, other than that, I think that it begins and ends there. Yeah. But in a way, um, one of the similarities is a lot of the times, you know, when you're watching these videos or whatever, you see these guys hunting and there's four or five bull elk screaming and they're charging down the mountain and it's like, you know, nine o'clock in the morning. 
you got to kind of realize when you're going to go out there and hunt over the counter areas that the elk are pretty pressured. Mm-hmm. So you they'll bugle a lot, but most of the bugles, in my experience, you're going to hear are going to be at night. So right. they've kind of adapted, yeah, just like our turkey, you know, or you'll hunt areas where there's a lot of heavy pressure on turkey and they'll gobble their heads off until they hit the ground, then it's a little bit more scarce. Oh, I think yeah. you can't get in action like that, but it's just um, – Oh no, trust me. This past turkey season for me, I was on this new piece of property and I had all through deer season had pictures of nice gobblers. I mean, some, they had mops on the front of them come turkey season. I didn't hear a single gobble in the last six weeks of the season. Every about my third or fourth call sequence, I had at least six to eight coyotes constantly trying to make a move on me. And I had fresh tracks and everything like that too. But the coyotes are ridiculous down here. Man, our turkey populations are down bad. Very. Um, I'm not really sure why. Mm-hmm. But everybody I talk to, you know, from North Carolina to Ohio to Virginia, all my buddies at PBS and stuff, a lot of parts of the country, the turkey numbers are down. And I will say this, Dalton is a turkey killing fool. He's got some really good places to hunt. Mm-hmm. And all honesty, I can get about three weekends of chasing turkey, and then I'm over it. I just, I'm like, I'm going to go fly fishing just – yeah, yeah. I that's, love hate relationship with turkey. It's probably a lot more hate than love. Yes, if it's not whitetail season, I'll be hunting a turkey. But like you say, once once you get done with that, I like to get my waders and go get some rainbow trout too. That's a big thing for yeah. me as well. <laughs> Heck yeah, absolutely. I think that most of my turkey hunts turn into the scout trips for deer real, real, real fast. Yeah. That's about what I I do that just to give me extra scouting time for property or WMAs, wildlife management areas around here. I'll do that just so I can go scout for my whitetail season. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Now, yeah, I like to read a lot, so I'm, I'm perfectly good with uh, just setting up a blind somewhere and sitting down with a book and a thermos of coffee and relaxing, you know? It's better than being at work. <laughs> yes, it is. Yeah. Now, you, now, you mentioned the PBS, the Professional Bow Hunter Society. Why don't you get into that a little bit and tell people if they want to join and how they can? Um, I will say, and I've said this many times, but PBS is something that, Connor, I can sit here and explain this to you for like an hour and you might have an inkling, mm-hmm. but if you ever get a chance to go to a banquet or a hunt or a gathering or anything, within seconds, you're like, oh yeah, I totally get this, man, I totally get it. And and honestly, the best way I can think of in my little feeble brain to explain PBS is if you turn on the outdoor channel or whatever, all them jack wagons on TV. Yeah, PBS is full of full of the type of people they want to they want to be. They just don't know, it, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So when, when you go to PBS banquet, and you know there's Monty Browning, there's TJ Conrad, there's Gene and Barry Winslow, and you know Alan Altizer, all these guys that have done so much, and and you get to and Mike Mittens, and you get to meet these guys, and you know you read all these stories, and, and you listen to the podcast, they're just as happy to hear about the doe you killed behind your grandmother's farm as you are to hear about some epic Cape Buffalo hunt or something that Monty Brown just got off of. So, <laughs> yeah. um, <laughs> I will say that I'm, I'm pretty picky about who I hunt with. Mm-hmm. And I've never met anybody in PBS that I wouldn't share a camp with. Um, I can, I can honestly say that if anybody in PBS was driving through my part of the country, they'd one welcome to come stay here. And that has happened. And if I was anywhere in the country and needed a place to stay, a PBS member knew that I'd have a place. Well, that's um, pretty cool. 
is there a chapter in Georgia, or do y'all have like chapters? Well, what we do is we have uh, we have regions. Mm-hmm. We'll have regional directors. Um, off the top of my head, I'm drawing a blank, and he's probably gonna horse dust me or throw something at me, but I cannot think <laughs> of who the regional. Man, I'm sorry about the edit. Oh, uh, you're good. Nah, dude, you're good. It ain't no big deal. Man, I can't. My mind's drawing a blank, but um, so the. PBS has a biannual banquet every other year, mm-hmm. and it moves. It's in different places. So the next one is going to be in Reno, Nevada. The one we just had was in Springfield, Missouri. Uh, the one before that, I, and they kind of run together, I believe was in Cincinnati. We had them in uh, Florida, uh, Nashville. They kind of moves throughout the country. Yeah. And I'll tell everybody, if you ever get a chance to go to one of these banquets, I promise you it will not be your last one. That's awesome. It's just such a great experience. And you, like I said, you see all these guys there that you've read all of this stuff about. You know, there's Nathan Anderson, there's Don Thomas, and like I said, TJ Conrad and Monty Browning. And, yeah, I'd like to meet that Monty Browning dude. He seems like a quite the character. <laughs> Man, he is an absolute nut. And I love him dearly. He's a, a very, I'm proud to say he's a very good friend of mine. And yeah, he's, he's, an, he's the epitome of, I think, PBS. And, mm-hmm. You know, most people in PBS aren't really joiners. You know what I mean? It's not, um, most people in PBS are just, they just love to hunt, love to boat hunt. And it's not about the notoriety and it's not about looking at me, you know, it's just, they just like to hunt. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if this comes through at all in, in our podcast, but that's one thing that Dalton and I strive for is, is we absolutely do not want it to be interpreted as anything about us, and it's, it's our, our guests. Um, we like to talk to people who love the boat hunt, you know. Yeah. You know, no, I like y'all's podcast. I mean, I've got it on my Spotify library. I listen to it quite a I bit. <laughs> I appreciate that. And we always tell everybody, I, we don't care how many inches your feather is. I don't care what your front of center is. Dalton doesn't care how you aim your bow. We, we just want to talk boat hunting. Yeah. We just try to uh, try to talk to our, our guests and just let people. I mean, it's just it's such a cool thing, like we talked about, to go out and shoot a traditional bow and and go bow hunting with it. You know, it's you don't need anything else. You know. Oh yeah. There's more than enough interest there, so for sure. What we strive for. Now you said that through PBS, y'all do these group hunts. Where all have you hunted through America with a bow? Um. So I have been to. Uh, I've hunted in the Eagle Cap Wilderness in Oregon. I've hunted in Utah several times, uh, Colorado, um, Texas, uh, Alabama, North Carolina, Tennessee, uh, Kentucky, Mississippi, of course, Louisiana. Um, I've hunted some in Arkansas. Mm-hmm. Um, probably missing. Well, I actually went on a hunt in Alaska. It's just a, a long, painful story, but due to weather, I didn't get to actually hunt. So oh. I made it all the way up there and didn't get to painful experience yeah i have a uh, i still gotta um I, I gotta i gotta go back and scratch that itch too. oh for sure i was born up in fairbanks alaska and that's why i've always wanted yeah. to get back there so <laughs> i knew that how old were you when y'all moved back to georgia i was only three years old i was a military baby so i wasn't at the age where i can enjoy it but i feel like that put the itch in me to be an outdoorsman mountain man whatever because that's my whole life is just to get back to Alaska, to go experience it. You know what I mean? 
you know, as dumb as it sounds, when somebody asked me to explain Alaska after I got back, I said, you know, to me, when I look at a panoramic view of, like, you know, the Appalachian Mountains, I'm like, it's just, it's gorgeous, right? And then I look at a panoramic view of the Rockies, and it's like, oh, this is just, it's majestic, right? And I look at a panoramic view of Alaska, and it's like the country's just looking at you like, man, I will eat you alive. Oh, yeah. You know, it is absolute. I don't know. It's just it's a primal place. It's a meat it's a, grinder. <laughs> it is. It is. But it's it's a cool, cool spot. And I think I heard somebody say once there's two kinds of bow hunters: those who have been to Alaska and those who want to go. I think that was Don Thomas, and I think it's a very accurate statement. Yeah, yeah. Because you gotta have some you gotta have some cojones to go up there and stomp around the woods. I mean, there's bona fide fur monsters up there. It's legit. There is that. There is that, and I think a lot of the fact. And everybody thinks about it. And I'm not trying to sound like an expert in Alaska. I've been one time. Mm-hmm. But I think a lot of people think about Alaska and they think, you know, the bears and the grizzlies, brown bears, whatever. But I think the biggest thing, man, is if you, you're so isolated that if you if you do something stupid, you know, and, and cut your hand open or clean an animal or mm-hmm. run an axe into your shin or whatever, you know, yeah. you're a long way from help, you know, and it's, you just, you got to be careful. And, and I love going out west. It is awesome. I love backpacking into places. And I, I do a lot of backpacking anyways. But, I mean, realistically, you're probably within a day's walk, right? From yeah. the truck or the road or something. But up there, man, it's just a totally, totally different thing. You get in a, in a flow plane and you fly for, you know, three hours. And you it's just mountain range after range after range and valleys and draws. Oh, yeah. I don't know if you – have you seen that movie, The Edge, with uh, – God, what's his name? Oh, yeah. That's one of my favorite movies growing up. Just, I mean, it's a bad movie, but it's a good one. Talking about the wilderness, and how crazy it can be. Now, out of all, were y'all hunting blacktail up there, or what were y'all going after? Yeah, yeah, we were, we were going on, on, on an island that's actually part of Kodiak, mm-hmm. um, but it's it's separate from Kodiak Island technically. And we were going to go up there to hunt, and I went up there with Russell Lanche and Jeff Cumberworth and Monty Dunaway. And we got up there, and um, we were title dependent. So when we got up there, our Russell and I, the airline lost our luggage. Oh, so crap. we were able to get it, like, but we couldn't fly out anyway. So, and we had it planned out where um, we all could have shot each other's bows, you know, and we were all pretty similar, draw weight and everything. So we kind of had that. It just kind of worked out that way. Yeah, that's a good contingency well, we plan. To, <laughs> it, it, was, it was. And we weren't able to fly out, so... The luggage came in, and we thought we were set, and just because of weather, mm-hmm. and it just kept getting delayed and getting delayed, and when we finally were able to fly out, um, we flew to the island, and we were over it in the pilot, and it, man, I, I was in the Navy, I went through a few different hurricanes, like, in the ocean, and I was good with it. In the that boat? Plane trip. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that how was, trip. oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, that, that, that float plane trip was rough, brother. I mean, it was. The pucker factor. And at one point, uh, I have no idea how far we fell, but I don't know if we had air pocket or what, but it was enough for the engine to rev and it started falling. And I, I remember I kind of pulled it up and hit my head. Oh. Uh, the pilot had to had to land because I, I think it was like a tow rope or something had come, had come out of a compartment or something. So he, he lands in this little bitty lake and the wind is just nasty weather. And he jumps out to put the rope back up. And I, I turn around and look back at, at Russell and Monty and Jeff and, they kind of looked at me, and uh, I was, you know, 
trying not to show it. I was I was on the verge of getting sick, and, and Russell looks at me. He's like, "Hey, any bar bags up there?" <laughs> and I was like, "I was I was actually relieved to hear that, you know." Yeah. Um, and we got back in the air. We got over the island. He's like, "Well, guys, we made it, but we can't land because we're going to crash if we do. The weather's too bad. We got to go back." And I thought, man, I don't care. If where he would have landed, I would have got out of that plane and spent the night just to get out of that stupid plane. But um, anyway, long story short, we, I just I ran out of time. I had to get back to work, so I, I didn't get to hunt at all. So yeah, um, it was a cool experience. I got to do some fishing up there. I got to see some great country, but I, I didn't get to hunt. And to be able to go that far and not get to hunt, mm-hmm. that was pretty tough. What time of year was that? I think we were there late August. Oh, okay. So it wasn't well, snow or nothing. It was like probably just full of rain then. Yeah, it was just nasty rain. And uh, there's there's a mountain right right at the base. Like when you land at Kodiak, you can see it. It's right there. And, and I heard so several people refer to it as Barometer Mountain. Mm-hmm. And I remember the day that our luggage came in, we, we were walking to the airport. The hotel was right across the way from the airport. We're walking in, and bluebird skies, and we're like, heck yeah, man, we're going to get out today. We got our luggage. This is awesome. And we were probably, and the airport is like probably the size of like five or six houses. It's not big. Yeah. And we were in there for like 45 minutes. And when we got out of the airport, you could not see Barometer, Barometer Mountain at all. I mean, it was completely fogged in. And it was like these 45 minutes ago, there was a mountain right there. And, it, and it's literally, when I say right there, it's just like you know, half a mile maybe. For yeah. Reserves. God almighty. It just came, it came in so fast. And, um, it's a, it's, it's a different world there yeah. you're not, um, you're just totally at the mercy of Mother Nature, you know? Yeah, well, I feel like that's like the ultimate litmus test of, to test the, the, I guess, the metal of an outdoorsman. That's the way I look at it, because I want to be able to go up there and get a moose one day and a caribou. I definitely want to get one of them with a stick bow. That's on my list, yeah. for sure. But, I've, I've got, I got two lists, i got a list of animals that I intend to hunt. And moose and caribou are on that list. I have a list of animals that, that I know I'm probably never going to get hurt. Yeah, that's um, more than likely, but but don't hurt the dream. <laughs> no, I don't. Uh, now, speaking of some other western uh, states, uh, Colorado and all in there, were you chasing elk, mule deer, or just whitetail? Uh, we were chasing uh, mule deer. Mule deer? I hunted Idaho for bear, and um, uh, I'm sorry, I said mule deer. Uh, we were hunting elk. Elk, okay. And, um, I, you know, I never really had a hankering to hunt mule deer, as odd as that sounds, until I was hunting in Oregon with uh, Jim Akinson, a good friend of mine. And um, I, if I'd have had a tag, I could have shot a pretty decent buck. And I thought, what an idiot. Why did I not get a tag? And um, so now it's, it's, it's pretty high on the list. But the area that we hunt in Utah, there's, it's just not a great area for mule deer. It is over the counter, but it's just not a real great area. Mm-hmm. And I've I, I, I hunted it. I don't know, two or three times, or twice now. I don't think I've ever seen more than a, maybe a couple does. Um, but for whatever reason, uh, there's just not a lot of mule deer in that particular part of the uh, yeah. of the state that we're hunting in. Now, Utah like, has some pretty big elk, don't they? Oh, yeah. yeah. Utah's, Utah's got, some, got some good elk. And it's, it's a beautiful state. And I think that... Uh, Man, all all states have got good hunting. You know, you just gotta you just gotta go figure out where to hunt. And I yeah. think some of the wisest advice I've ever gotten was if you're gonna go elk hunting, pick a spot and go. You know, unless you're gonna go guide it, but if you're gonna go do it on your own DIY, pick mm-hmm. a spot and hunt there. And the next time you can go, go there and hunt. 
And the next time you can go, go there and hunt. And every time you go, you learn more and more and more about the particular area. Mm-hmm. Um, cause, you know, unlike, unlike white shells, man, elk are, you got to find them first. Yeah. Um, and you gotta, you just gotta cover some ground and, and do a lot of glassing or do a lot of walking and you gotta, you gotta find them because, you know, the, the first time I went elk hunting was with a friend of mine in Colorado and there was a lot of elk sign, but it was all just a few days old and man, there were just no elk in the country and it, and it, from the sign, I think if we'd have been there a week earlier, we'd have probably been in them like crazy, but mm-hmm. they were just gone when we got there, you know, and, uh, we found out that there was actually a, uh, a short muzzleloader season there, so the elk had probably moved out of the uh. moved out of the country. But when you go, it's, it's pretty daunting to get out there and you look at the country and you're like, oh my gosh, man! Like, where, you know, where do I go? What do I do? But you break it down, and I mean, it's, you know, mm-hmm. you're hunting terrain features, and, and they're going to bed in the you know white tail bed in the thick nasty stuff, and elk bed in the dark timber, and they'll come out to. Uh, the open meadows and parks to feed and you just got to locate them and try to set up and intercept them you know mm-hmm. have you had the opportunity to harvest a big bull or anything like that not a big bull i should have killed a cow when, uh, when I was yeah a cow. kind of a funny story but uh last time we were out there i was, I was hunting a friend of mine we, were at, we typically will hunt not together but you know kind of the same general vicinity yeah it's always and good to have a hunting partner <laughs> It is, and we'll, we'll just kind of look at the topo map, like, hey, we're going to meet here at this time of day, you know, see Yeah. Like, at this particular time, we were together, and uh, we, I ran into a long cow and was able to stalk up close enough for a shot, and uh, I thought she was about, sorry, not she instinctively, but I thought she was about 32, 3 yards, maybe, mm-hmm. and she was a little bit more like 36, and, and I shot, and my buddy was a little bit downhill with me. When I shot, the arrow looked absolutely perfect, and it was slow motion. And I was thinking, man, that's a dead elk right there. <laughs> and right before the arrow got there, man, it just dropped out, and it just barely cut it. Hit her, just barely cut her, her brisket right in her armpit. Yeah. And uh, and it hit a tree right behind it. And the elk took off. And my buddy, and I looked back, he had his hands up. He's like, man, you drilled her. And I was like, no, I didn't either. He's like, man, I heard it. And I'm like, that was a tree, Bobby. He's, I missed that cow. And he's like, no, you did, man. It was perfect. And I'm like, yeah, I thought so too, buddy, but it dropped out. Man. We travel for a way, this is quickly, but it's fun to go, but you got to realize it, it's, when you're coming from this part of the country, um, you're obviously not getting to do a lot of scouting. Mm-hmm. So you, you got to get there you got to find them. Um, it's just a, it's, if you're going to go DIY, it's, it's a pretty, pretty tall task. Now you may get out there and kill a monster bull the first trip, Yeah, but you know, just be prepared that it's. Oh, and I ain't that lucky when it comes into the woods. I got to put in the sweat equity into it usually. Oh man, me too. It's uh, yeah, I, I don't, I don't have that kind of luck. I, I gotta, it, I gotta put a lot of time in before I make it happen. Maybe it's because I'm a bad hunter. I don't know, but it's usually <laughs> the way it works out. Uh, it's just hunting. It, I, it take the best hunter, and they'll throw dirt in your face and spit in your eye. <laughs> <laughs> Now, of uh, all the uh, states you have hunted whitetail, which one would probably be your favorite? Man, I've not got to hunt whitetails in the Midwest. I would love to do that mm-hmm. at some point. I'm actually going to plan on going to Ohio this year. Oh, yeah. Um, but I think that I probably just think way too much into this stuff, man. But when I hear stories and read stories of guys hunting whitetails you know, in, in Kansas and Iowa, and then I'll read stories of guys hunting blacktails like in Oregon and in Washington State. 
it seems like I can relate a lot more to those guys than I mm-hmm. can, you know, with the, the big open agricultural field and stuff like that and, mm-hmm. and the big bucks running around. But of all the places I've hunted, man, I, I'm, I've been in Tennessee long. I'm from South Louisiana, but I've been in Tennessee longer. This is home. And I'm pretty partial to, uh, to East Tennessee. But, you know, Alabama's got some great whitetail hunting. Yes. North Carolina's got some fantastic hunting. But I've also always said that if I ever take time away from work and family to go off and hunt something, it's not going to be a whitetail, right? Because I can do that here. But yeah. the, older I, the older I get, man, the more I just enjoy like, the whole chess match of, of whitetails, you know? And like this year going to Ohio, if you'd have told me three years ago I was going to take a week off of work and go hunt out of state, but it was going to be for whitetail, I'd probably laugh at you. <laughs> But I'm really going up to Ohio where I, you know, I know that good bucks are not, you know, like unicorns walking around the woods and the deer tend to act a little more like deer. It's not going to be easy. It's never easy, but it's, yeah. It's a little bit of an advantage when deer act like deer, right? Yeah. Well, that's, I got some friends. I'm looking forward to that. Yeah. Well, I got friends. They hunt Illinois a lot too. They have bottle lease up there. And they said for like hunting South Georgia up there, a good buck down here is you let him walk up there. So it's, it's the first couple of years you got to get used to that, seeing these nice bucks walk under you. Then usually they'll have one, sure enough, a wall hanger come through. Absolutely. So it's just yeah. little different little um, regions like that. Yeah, it, 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 you know, everybody likes to think that wherever they're hunting, wherever they're hunting the hardest, but um, different parts of the country are, are just different. You know, and I think as I've gotten older, uh, I've come – just sort of learn that that you know everywhere is unique, right? And it's, mm-hmm. it's you know every, everywhere you go, it's got some. Every state has got some really cool country and some really cool adventure to get into. Oh yeah, um, you I know, mean you, you can't compare everything. Yeah, I mean Tennessee's on my hunting list. Me and my brother are actually wanting to plan a camping trip to go do some trout fishing up there soon. We're trying to find a good river to go at, and uh, which he's a big. He don't really hunt a lot, but he's a big fisherman for bass, rainbow trout, and all that stuff. So we're thinking this next summer we're going to try and plan like a good backpacking trip up to Tennessee. Try and wear them out. Hey, um, um, I tell you what, man. If, if you like bass, I don't, I don't bass fish, but uh, Lake Chickamauga is supposed to be one of the one of the greatest places in the country right now to bass fish. Oh, really? Uh, yeah, it's. Uh, I don't. I don't do. I don't bass fish a lot, but mm-hmm. there's there's a lot of great fishing up here. Um, there's some I, I love backpacking in the mountains and and fishing for these little native brookies, and they don't get big. Yeah, but it's I, I like the adventure of stuff. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, for sure. So, like oh, a lot of the places that I you know we'll backpack in and, and spend night spend multiple nights there to hunt. You know, it's there's not a lot of deer there. Yeah, I mean, there's some good deer there because they, they die of old age, right? Because nobody ever goes in there, but at the same time, if you do run across a good old mature buck, you know, he, he might be pushing 120, you know, I'm not, mm-hmm. not saying that there aren't some good ones, but the, it's the, hard the, living the, in the mountains. The of food. <laughs> it, is. it is, it is, you know, and then it's, you have bucks with agricultural areas, man, they can, they can put on a lot of the, uh, you know, come wintertime, there's still lots of crops that are laying on the, on the ground because they didn't get or whatever. Whereas, you know, you go on the mountains and it's, it's, it's browse. You know, once the mass crop's done, it's, it's grass and browse. It's oh, yeah. Well, down it's here, a uh, difficult, but. yeah, well, working at a process, I work at a deer processor this past season. I'm working there again this season and talking about agricultural deer. We had one come in. It was like 233 pounds. 
this sucker was a brute. And it was killed over in Brooks County of South Georgia. It was. It was a nice 12 point. But we're. Big, big yeah, here. that's a swamp donkey. Is what I call it. <laughs> oh, absolutely, yeah, absolutely. But you know, like I said, man, it's all it's all fun, and, and you know, uh, I think it was Gina Mabenberry that said that how you hunt big deer is nowhere near as important as where you hunt big deer. That's one hundred percent. That's a very wise statement because I mean, you can. I don't care how much you like steak. If the only restaurants you ever go eat at McDonald's, you ain't getting steak. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. so you gotta, you gotta. It, it's all part of it. But at the same time, you know, just learn to enjoy and, and take advantage of what you have. I mean, not everybody has the same opportunities, you know. And that's another thing about social media that I think is it's it's unfortunate is, is people compare themselves to other people in different parts of the country and they don't realize that. The opportunities they have, it may be better or it may be worse than other people in other parts of the, of the country. So, yeah, you know, and just enjoy the journey and just have fun doing it, man. And, and mm-hmm. Don't overcomplicate things. Just uh, get a bow and start shooting and have fun, you know? Yep, that's exactly right. And that's what I've been doing and trying to be, just stay as genuine as possible. And then, you know, people will come eventually, that kind of thing, you know? Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, my, my son-in-law, is, he's getting into traditional bow hunting for the first year last year and it's it's been a blast to uh because i've got two daughters and uh my youngest daughter is really outdoorsy but she doesn't spend a lot uh-huh. um but it's been really fun to uh you know go on some of these scouting trips and it's really hot or, or after season it's really cold and nasty and, and have somebody to go out there with and it, it's fun just kind of watching him um you know get 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 to watch him enjoy all of this stuff and, and oh yeah it's, it's been a lot of a lot of fun that's for sure. I got two daughters myself, four-year-old and nine-month-old now. But I took them hunting with me last wow. season, riding around in the truck, seeing deer. They were kind of my good luck charms. Yeah. Only two times I took them, I saw to the does, but they usually hopped off where I could get a shot on them. So, <laughs> but I'm Man, just. Oh, she's the mine's the oldest has already started kindergarten. I feel like she was just born yesterday. Yeah, see, I'm dreading the 16 year old age. That's going to be a little, that's, I'm dreading that age. Yeah, it's not fun. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, um, I appreciate you coming on, man. If you want to plug anything you want, you can go ahead. We're coming up on like right 50 ish minutes. fun and um if you anybody wants to listen to anything about traditional bow hunting that's that's the only thing that that we talk about on the stick boys is, is bow hunting and that's it you know we don't like i said we don't get into gear or mm-hmm. how you shoot and all we just want to talk about bow hunting man. brass tax and then also <laughs> what's that i say y'all get to the brass tax of it is what i like about it yeah we we try not to, to ramble on and, and you know people don't we're fully aware that people listen to the podcast because of our guests, not us. So we don't want to sit and bore people with stupid stuff that they don't yeah. care about. So we just get right to the guests. And I would also uh, very much encourage anybody who has any interest in traditional bow hunting, man, to seek out the PBS because it's, it's just a great group. And, you know, you mentioned the, uh, the membership hunts. 
Like we got hunts in. Oh, from memory, uh, bear hunts in Alaska, blacktail deer, coos deer, uh, elk, mule deer, pronghorn, javelina, hogs, turkey, uh, Davis Mountain hunts for javelina and hog, and possibly all that. Um, you know, and, and that, those have been in places like Wyoming and Alaska and Oregon and here in Tennessee and, and Virginia, rough mountains. You know, if anybody wants to join PBS and they want to go to one of these hunts, um, any member can host a hunt. And they typically just let them know on the Facebook group or in the uh, magazine, mm-hmm. one of the magazines that you get. And, uh, you know, if a guy decides to have a hunt for whatever, you know, let's say elk, that he thinks he can accommodate 10 or 15 people, whatever it is, the first 10 or 15 people that go, yeah, I want to go, and, you know, you're in. That's awesome. You know, if, if it's your, yeah, if it's your first, if you join PBS today and somebody puts in that they want to host a hunt, you put, tell them tonight, you know, and you've been a member for six hours, it doesn't matter. And, you know, when you show up, and, and uh, I forgot to mention the, the pig hunts and um, the coastal islands of Georgia and the land between the lakes, and those are just great times. Mm-hmm. You, you may show up and not know anybody, but within within a matter of minutes, you're going to feel like you've known these guys all their old life, and you're going to have hunting buddies for the rest of your life. And I've told a lot of people, if you go to a PBS banquet and you do not get invited on a, at least half a dozen around the country, you're probably a, a jerk. <laughs> yeah, I heard that. Probably don't need to be in that group. Yeah, if you just, if you just mingle a little bit, man. Get in, like everybody's just so easy to help everybody. It's all just about bow hunting, it's not about names. And you know, you like I said, you Mike Mitten will be sitting at a table, and a guy sitting there that's you know, shot one yearling doe in his life, and, and it doesn't matter because you're both bow hunters, you know, and it's, mm-hmm. just, it's a great organization, it's really fun, very helpful. Um, and it's kind of organization that you, you get out of it what you put into it, you know. Yeah, well, I'm definitely going to be looking into it for myself for sure. I definitely, I'm interested in joining. But uh, other than that, man, I, I really appreciate you coming on. I'd like to have y'all, you and Dalton, on sometime. See, maybe yeah, towards man, the end of deer sure. season, see how y'all are doing. <laughs> yeah, just say when, buddy. We'd love, we'd love to come on and chat with you. We're always here to talk about hunting, so we can do that all day. <laughs> Heck yeah, man. Well, I appreciate it, and thank you again, man. Yes, sir, buddy. Have a good one. You thank too. You. All right. Bye-bye. Well, that was an awesome episode. I really enjoyed that. That was Ethan Rodrigue with the Stick Boys. So if y'all want to check them out, go to YouTube, Instagram, Facebook. They have a lot of knowledge in traditional bow hunting and just whitetail hunting in general. So thank y'all for everyone who supports the podcast. It truly means a lot. And we will see y'all next week.